0: Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm uh, the pastor that only has one week to go before I get booted. Uh, so I leave the church with love and joy and move on to my next job. Um, I've finished my three-year training, uh, which is part of what we do in the Church of England. Mark's been my coach, and he's been telling me about all my, my blind spots. It's been very exciting to learn about them and to be coached through my time here. Before we start, I just want you to think for a moment about, uh, um, oh by the way, I've just been told to mention that there's lots of people from the BBC here. Are there lots of people from the BBC here? If you are, welcome. Welcome. I do like the BBC more than ITV, that makes you feel better. What would I say if there's lots of people from ITV here? I don't know. I'll probably make something up. I want you to think for a moment what it's like for you uh, over Easter. What's it like for you over Easter? Is it about Easter eggs and joy and family? For me, it, it, for many years before I became a follower of this person called Jesus, this bloke who enters a town on a donkey to make a point, I used to, uh, I used to think of Easter as East, chocolate Easter eggs. There were some pretty good clubs that were open uh, over um, uh, the, the week, you know, bank holiday. I used to go and party with my mates and stuff. And it was just about family and Easter eggs. But here we see the story of this bloke entering, this person called Jesus, entering this Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Let me just paint a picture of what that would be like for us today. So, the Jews, at the time, what they expect is they expect this person to come and rescue them from Roman rule. They don't like being told what to do or bullied by the Romans. So they've been praying for this Messiah. They want Jesus to be the Messiah. The problem is Jesus doesn't enter Jerusalem the way they want. He enters on a donkey. A Messiah should enter like the films that we watch, The Gladiators. You know when Caesar enters Rome and he has all the horses and he's on his chariot or he sits on a beautiful Arab stallion and he enters Rome and there's a procession and dances and merriment and music. But Jesus doesn't do that. So in modern terms, it's like us expecting the king to come. We're in a war and this king could enter England and he tells his disciples, look, go and pick up the Hillman Hunter at the garage around the corner, of the second-hand garage. Now, you'd be a bit disappointed if a king turned up on a Hillman Hunter. You'd want him to turn up in an armored Bentley or something. It was a big statement that Jesus was making. As we say that Palm Sunday marks the time in the church Bible when people think about what Jesus did uh, uh over Easter, that he was crucified and uh, was put in a tomb for three days. And on Easter Sunday, the Christian church believed that Jesus was resurrected. And the event, as detailed in this New Testament story, tells us that as Jesus entered Jerusalem, and there was much excitement, only five days later, he'd been nailed to a cross. He was uh, um, received like royalty at the time, People were showing him respect by waving palm trees. And there he was coming in, uh, treated with unbelievable sort of uh, respect for somebody that was a lowly prophet. But what I think about when I read this story is how easily people are swayed. There he was in the beginning, returning like a king, but in five days it was the opposite. The crowds were against him. If you ever watch those Jesus movies, they say, stone him, stone him. And Pilate says, do you want do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? No, we want Barabbas to be saved. Stone, you know, or kill Jesus or whatever. Kill Jesus, sorry, not stone. Kill Jesus, crucify him. What, why would people be so easily influenced? I think it's a bit about marketing, isn't it? Marketing. I've got some symbols that are going to come up here. I want to see if you can recognize them. The first one. Here we go, coming up. You know what that is? No-brainer. McDonald's. Brands have a real power over the way we think. Jesus entering Jerusalem was a symbol of something very, very significant. It was a brand. The donkey, people had donkeys who rode them, was, were known to be certain types of people. Kings never went on donkeys. If you enter McDonald's, you expect... Certain types of food, don't you? Let's have the next one. What's this This one? Anyone know what that is? Shout it out. Ferrari. Yeah. Okay, next one. Ah, getting harder. You guys travel a lot, don't you? Okay, next one. Ah, that's easy. Next one. (laughs) I was going to put some hard ones in because last time I put... Sorry, last time I put them too hard, people complained. You all know this lot. All right, here are a few more symbols. What about um, these? These are all known, aren't they? You see that and you know exactly what product you're going to get. Let's see the next one. You know you're going to deal with space when you see that product. These are marketed brands. These are things that when you see them, you know exactly what they mean. Next one. Let's have a few. Mercedes. BA. Now, the Union Jack's interesting, isn't it? Because when we go to a football game or a rugby game and we, we see people wearing Union Jacks and, and we get very disappointed when the team we support doesn't win. But the Union Jack also means something to other people. Remember the this, this problems that they had in Libya originally when HMS Cumberland turned up? One of the Americans interviewed said, I've never been so happy in my life to see the symbol of the Union Jack. Because he knew that that boat was there to rescue him. But the problem with the Jews was they they wanted a rescuer. But the symbol of the donkey didn't match the fit of what they they thought. So they overlooked it. They said, oh, it doesn't matter. He's on a donkey. We'll overlook that. We'll overlook that he's on a donkey. He's still the Messiah. But Jesus didn't turn up with thousands and thousands of armies. He came up to teach the world something very, very different. Another big symbol that all of you would know when you see it is the cross. The symbol of the cross. When people see the cross, they expect something. Now, when I used to see the cross before I went to church, I expected to be bored, I expected to fall asleep when I went into a church. I expected to be snoring by the second boring hymn of some bloke who wrote something 200 years ago. I expected to smell sawdust or wood. I expect to see a bloke in a frock at the front. That's what I thought. But when I actually went to some churches, that's what I got actually. But then I discovered churches like this. I'm not saying this is different or better. What I'm saying is that I I came in here and I felt, hey, actually, I can get my head around this stuff. It it made sense. It it wasn't too different for me. You know, people were singing songs. Okay, they were like pop songs, but, you know, the talks I could understand. There wasn't anything, uh, the litur- there wasn't any real major liturgy that, that was a bit weird and lighting candles and all that stuff, you know. It was reachable. And Jesus wanted to come into Jerusalem to say that he was reachable. That he was breaking with tradition. His entrance was a symbol of humility. Humility was his message. He was making a statement. And in that, in that way, that was his advert. That was his product. Be humble and follow me. And I think it's without humility, it's hard to actually see God. Because with humility, you see God as he is and you see yourself as you are. We are called, in a sense, to be real about our life. We're called to, as followers of Jesus, to live highly different lives. But I think we get distracted. I want you to think for a moment, do you struggle to be authentic? Authentic. I was thinking this morning about. I'm just about to get married in July, and I actually. A bloke, I'm supposed to be a leader in the Church of England, and yet I so easily lie. I realized that um, I bought some headphones for a fiver for my fiance. Well, it's going to be my little boy, my fiance's little boy called Sammy. He's sitting in the car, and he gets very distracted. So we bought him some cheap headphones, and I said, Well,. But let's not give them to him. Let's say they're mine. And then if he behaves well in the car, he can borrow them. Yes, that's a good plan. And I thought this morning, we're actually lying to him. We bought them for him. We're trying to manipulate him into good behavior. But how, how easy do we fit into that? How easy do we do tell little things to try and get certain behavior from people? Humility is seeing yourself as you are. Seeing things as they are. One time there was a little Swiss watch that was made with the finest skill and precision. But the little watch was dissatisfied with its restricted sphere of influence on a lady's wrist. The watch envied the lofty position of the great clock on the Tower City Hall building. And one day the little watch in its own passed City Hall and the tiny watch exclaimed, I sure wish I could be way up there where everyone could see me. I could serve many people instead of just one. The watch's owner looked down and said, I know someone who has a key to the tower. Little watch, you shall have your opportunity. And the next day, the little watch was placed at the very top of the tower. At that moment, the little watch said, Oh my, I'm too small for anyone to see me. My elevation has resulted in my being unnoticed. When we aspire for lofty things, things which we think will elevate us, We end end up losing uh, ourselves in a way. You see these pop stars uh, trying to be famous, trying to get significance. And then when they get it, they spend all their time trying to keep it. But true identity is about being who you are. All those people at one point would have mocked and criticized Jesus. Virtually the whole of Jerusalem welcomed him in. Within one week, the whole of Jerusalem were against him. He couldn't be swayed by other people's thoughts or behavior or what they said. He had to know who he was. He had to know his identity. He had to know what it was like to live a life of authenticity. Our true identity is in being who God has created us to be. And out of that comes freedom. Freedom to worship God. Freedom to be grateful. But the problem is... Um, we, we, for people that may be here who probably aren't regular church goers, we talk a lot in the church about, about worshipping God. And what that means is that you give God all your attention when you do it. You're not thinking of bills, you're not thinking of stuff. But I've got to be honest with you, we're very easily distracted in the church. I am. I'm so easily distracted. It's so easy to watch telly than it is to spend some time praying. Or or hanging out with God in a sense that we call it. So I want to focus on three things. Three short things. First of all, what is it that distracts us from God or in our lives? From what's important? How can we get back on track? And then teaching us a little bit about worship. So what is it that distracts you from God or from life? Do you have expectations about God that are inaccurate? How's your prayer life? And if you're not a churchgoer like I wasn't, how, how's, your, how's your relationship with your family and friends? How's your relationship with your colleagues? How's your relationships with your children? Would you like them to be better? How's your quiet time with God? Are you happy with your knowledge of life, of the Bible, for example? Are you happy in your heart do you have peace? Are you someone that takes antidepressants? Are you someone that uh, struggles with debt or money or addictions? I'm not asking you these questions to feel bad. I'm asking myself the same questions. I faff a lot. My fiance has reminded me that's something that she's going to work out of me. She asked me to do something and I faff. Mark has noticed it. (laughs) Barry's noticed it. I think the staff have noticed it. Getting my attention on one thing is hard. TV is a lovely thing, but it kills a lot of my time. But you know what it does when I faff. Really, I'm trying to disconnect. I disconnect. This week I was out in Ethiopia, and I went out there with a. I came to this church having had no children. I had no real interest in children. I was a a magician for 20 years in show business and uh, I earned magic. I worked at Arsenal Football Club and I was in uh, working for McLaren F1 and all that sort of stuff. I had no concept with kids. I used to do bar mitzvahs at 13. That was it. So Mark said to me, I want you to work with the children over the road. And I sort of groaned inwardly. They were two years old. And get involved with the children's ministry. And I thought, this is going to be a nightmare. But as I did it, this love for children grew. It it, it was so amazing that I used to do assemblies. I'd walk down the road and the kids would go, Hello Tim, Uh, Mum, we know that fella. hey, hey. Kids think I'm alright. And I thought, I quite like them now. Anyway, so as this love for children's grown, I've just got invited and sort of told I was going. I said to Mark, can I go to Ethiopia with Compassion, the children's charity. And we work with Toybox and many charities with children we're involved with. But this is just one of them. So I went out there and, you know, there's some families I met out there last week. They live on £15 pound a month. £2 pound of that is their rent. And th- they have no money. The children are in rags. That's They have one set of clothing and they have no toys. Now, you know, it was a bit of a shock. I went into culture shock. I'd read about it and I'd seen it. By day two, I thought, I don't want to be here. I want to fly back. I've had enough of this. I'm not enjoying this at all. Because it was so overwhelming to see all this poverty. And and on smiling faces as well. I just thought, I can't handle it. I didn't want to tell anyone I was struggling with it, so I kept stunned. But the problem was everyone was feeling the same. Everyone was struggling with it. I felt a bit tearful. I thought, tearful. I'm all right, I'm all right, it's fine. But when I turned up to this house and they said, well, to make you feel honoured, we put grass on the floor. It's a sign that you're a VIP. And, you know... um, we spent two or three days' wages buying you bread and coffee so that you can. And I'd had a massive breakfast in the hotel that morning. That was it. I just, I sort of broke. I just couldn't, couldn't handle it. I, I find that quite often, I, I, was, I had a bit of food poisoning for a day and I spent the day in bed, like as many of us did at different times. I was grateful for the food poisoning because I wanted to disconnect from the pain I was experiencing. So what I did is I spent the day processing in bed, but it was, it was a great way to disconnect. And what we do in life is we disconnect from our pain. We go through experiences we don't like, so we turn to TV, we turn to this, we turn to that. And what God says to us is, I don't want you to be distracted. I want you to focus on me when you're feeling your pain. I want you to bring it to me because I'm the only one that can really do anything about it. And I I, I realized I was in bed and I was grateful to be ill because I wanted to avoid the pain of what I was feeling and seeing. But don't switch off. Don't switch off if you need to contact your family and tell them you love them. Tell them you love them. You know, my my dad, I'm marrying my dad uh, in August. And uh, I'm doing a blessing. My parents got divorced. I'm doing a blessing. I can't do the the full service, but I can do the blessing. And everything's fine. It's fiance, 35 years working in, um, in a hospice. She just phoned me up three weeks ago and said, look, I've got lung cancer. I might not make it till Christmas. You don't know. You don't know how long you've got. Now, this isn't a sermon, oh, come to God, because you don't know how long you've got. This is make up, do the things that are important in your life. Contact your family and friends. Tell them you love them. Don't let your stuff get in the way of doing what's right. Don't be distracted. God wants us to live undistracted lives. And he certainly wants our full attention. Second, how do you get back on track? Well, how about spending time with God? How about spending some quiet time reading the Bible? How about having stronger uh, boundaries? How about using this Easter week to take stock and asking yourself what's important? How about you contacting your family? You know, it's really weird. I really, really love my mum and dad, but it's so hard to say, Dad, I love you. Go, love you, Dad. The I, I can't get the eye out. I love you. I can go, love you, Dad. Yeah, love you, Dad, yeah. To say I love you. I find that really difficult. I can't get the eye out. I don't know what it is. But he needs me right now. So I'm gonna tell him. You might need to get a babysitter. So you can get out for an hour. You might, need to, you might need to express to your partner how you feel. And that you need quiet time with God. But this is a, a time at Easter to focus on what's important. Jesus came into Jerusalem to turn the world as people knew it, upside down. He said it's not about conquering, it's about loving. It's not about dominating, it's about relating. It's not about disconnecting, it's about intimacy. Why? Because God created us as loving, intimate human beings. And when you follow this route to God, when you turn to God in those difficult times, you will find a peace that's indescribable. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you'll find him when you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. Then it goes on to say, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And finally, it says that, that to know God, you ha- must have uh, a heart that seeks him. Don't let this Easter time be a time of not noticing the significant time, moments and important things. And finally, worship is worth it. Well... People were worshipping Jesus, but I don't think they really knew, when he came in on this donkey, what he was asking them to do. He was asking them to change the way they saw their lives. We worship God because we love to do it. But many people talk about their car and their house. And these are things, I suppose, at times, I love admiring a nice Ferrari. But I'm not called to worship it. I'm not called to give it my heart. Even my iPad I play a lot on. The Old Testament talks about the people of God. Worshipping created things. They did it in the past. It's nothing new. But God cannot be displaced and replaced by created things. You know why? Because ultimately they won't satisfy you. They're short lasting. Only in worship. Only in intimacy with God. In friendship with God. Do we find our peace. Only in worship. Can you be free from. The hurts, habits and hang-ups that you carry. Jesus experienced euphoria within one week rejection. When he emerged on the public scene, he was an overnight sensation. In those days, if they had had adverts, they would have all, it would have been in all the news and all the papers. He would try to go off alone and people would follow him. The, mass, the masses lined the streets as he came into town. On Palm Sunday, leafy branches were spread before him. And there were shouts of Hosanna. In shouting Hosanna, they were saying, Save us, Jesus, from these Romans. Save, save us from our captivity. Crowds came to hear him preach. A wave of religious expectation swept the country. But the cheering didn't last for long. There came a point when the tide began to turn. His critics now began to publicly attack him. And that was something new. Earlier they'd been afraid to speak out for the masses. But now they began to perceive that the fickle public was turning on him. Soon the opposition began to snowball. And when they discovered that they could not discredit his moral character, they began to make up lies and desperate measures. Before it was all over, a tidal wave swelled up that brought Jesus to his knees under the weight of a cross. Why did the masses so radically turn against him? How did the shouts of Hosanna turn to shout to crucify him? What were the underlying issues? Well, they tried to make Jesus do something for them. They weren't serving God, they wanted him to serve them. They had hoped for this coming to King to be wanted what to be what they wanted him to be. They wanted a warrior king, not a loving king. They wanted someone to rescue them from their troubles. But Jesus chose to demonstrate love and humility. Have you ever tried to do something that went against the tide of opinion just to finish? It's not easy. Even in the office at work, if you do something a bit weird, people start talking about you. I spend a lot of my energy trying to stop people talking about me church are laughing because they all talk about me in church. But we do, don't we? Let's not worry about that. Our worship is about our desire for connection with God, a desire for intimacy and mutual recognition. It's our natural design to worship. Let's see worship as being vital for our well-being. If you're down, worship Jesus. If you have no money, worship Jesus. If you're happy, worship him. And if you have a crisis, worship him. Because I promise you, you'll be changed. The joy will be deeper. Your heart will be different. You can't explain it. Walter Brueggemann uh, wrote a book called Worship in Israel. He called it a covenantal conversation. We speak to God because God promised us a relationship with him. He goes on to say, Israel at worship with God was not docile, passive or silent. Israel was deeply engaged with God in a life or death interaction in which its future was profoundly at stake. Meaning when they did it, they did it with all they had. They saw themselves as a product of God's generous and transformative action. They risked their lives and future when they left Egypt on God's capacity to care and provide for them. Do we give God our lives and future? Do we trust him to provide? This is my final point here. Just coming into land right now. We're in this start up to Easter Sunday. Isaiah 49 says this. And if you get anything from what I'm saying today, just take this away with you. Because I think this is really, really important. It says this, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Now, in Israel, a slave might tattoo their master's name on their arms or their hands. But it was totally unheard of for the master to put the tattoo of the slave on their hands. It just would never, ever happen. It wouldn't enter anyone's mind. But the Hebrew word for engraved means hammered. And this might be an indication and foretelling of what Jesus would go through for humankind on Good Friday. The nails going in would be as our names upon his body. They weren't tattoos. The master doing the opposite of what was expected And suffering for his beloved people. People that had rejected him and denied him. Jesus worshipped God by being faithful and obedient. Don't forget that your name is written on his hand. And that word means hammered. And on uh, Good Friday, that's what Jesus went through. Let's make time to worship God because our names are nailed on his hands so that we could live free lives without fear or worry and love extravagantly in a way we've never known. Let's stand together. Mark's just about to take communion. I just want to say a quick prayer for us. It might be someone here that thinks, you know, wow, never heard of that Jesus like that. I uh, I wouldn't mind meeting him. And if this is for you, I just want to pray for that one person. So let's just close our eyes. If you'd like to meet that Jesus I spoke about, I'd love to pray for you right now. Just echo this prayer in your heart after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I might not know everything about you or the Bible or the cross, but thank you that you love me. Please forgive everything I've ever done wrong. Help me know you and love you. Help me with the things I struggle with. Help me turn away from them now. And please come into your life, into my life by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus.